It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Abby Hornacek. I'm Ben Dominich. I'm Dana Perino, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Wednesday, October 25th, 2023. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. Four hostages down, 218 to go. The U.S. is involved in negotiations to get those kidnapped and taken to Gaza released, including children and the elderly. I think it's extremely important and good that we are engaging in these negotiations. Uh, But what I don't have is a sense of how likely it is that these negotiations will succeed. This is the Fox News Rundown, Evening Edition. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. While Hamas has released four hostages, 218 remain held, including children, even a nine-month-old, and elderly Israelis, as well as 10 Americans. During a press conference with Australia's Prime Minister, President Biden was asked if he's tried to convince Israel's Prime Minister to hold off on a ground invasion because there are hostages. What I have indicated to him is that if that's possible to get these folks out safely. That's what he should do. It's their decision. But I did not demand it. I pointed out to him, if it's real, it should be done. He was asked if the hostages are in jeopardy if there's a ground invasion. Obviously, they're in jeopardy. The question is whether or not there's any way of getting them out. If we can get them out, we should get them out. Israel's prime minister said in his own remarks today they're doing all they can to bring the hostages home, that there will be a ground invasion, but as to when, that decision will be reached, he said, by consensus, but that Gazan civilians should move to the south. One hostage who was released, 85-year-old Yocheved Lifshitz, described upon being released how she was held underground. They walked for a few kilometers on the wet ground. There are a huge, um, huge um, network of tunnels underneath. It looks like a spider web. One Hamas leader, Khaled Mashal, said the group was open to releasing hostages. If Netanyahu was keen on their safety, if the Europeans and the Americans are keen on their safety, let them force Israel to stop its aggression. Negotiations reportedly include Hamas demands for food, water and fuel, even as aid has been delivered to the area. Other than the U.S., Egypt and Qatar are also involved in negotiations. It is an unfortunate truth that terror groups have used hostage taking for generations. It's um, a part of who they are and how they try to leverage their often weak position to get things out of us. Mary Kissel is executive vice president at Stevens and former senior advisor to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. The tools of hostage negotiation, it really just it really does vary from case to case. Um, when I worked at the State Department, 
there were some cases, for instance, when we would deal with hostages in places like Iran, where we do not have diplomatic ties, where we would have to rely on a single third party. In that instance, the Swiss government, who also acts on our behalf in places like Venezuela, to step in and to facilitate the negotiations with the terrorist uh, regime that was holding our people. In this case, um, it sounds like uh, Foggy Bottom is trying to leverage governments that have professed care for the Palestinian people, um, who we have had many ties with uh, militarily, uh, economically, and diplomatically, um, to see if they can exert leverage on Hamas to release our people. I'm not privy to those negotiations, so I'm I'm really giving you my my best guess. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like that is what the hostage negotiation team has concluded uh, will give them the best chance of success. Do negotiations typically in- involve, I'm asking broadly, um, showing like proof of life? I mean, we've got babies and, and children and elderly people um, being held. I would imagine that part of that would be proved to me these people are, are okay and unharmed. Yes, that's often part of the talks. I think it's also important to note that our main hostage negotiator, Roger Carstens, has served uh, both in the Trump and the Biden administration, a very seasoned negotiator. And I think that speaks to the really bipartisan nature of hostage negotiations. I mean, it, it is a foundational duty of democratic governments such as ours to keep our citizens safe. And the United States goes to extraordinary lengths to get our people home. And that is different from other governments who don't prioritize it to the degree that we do. But, you know, look, I remember uh, every morning when I would go into the executive meeting with the, the secretary of state, that was the first thing he was briefed on. You know, it had Americans you know, perished overseas. Um, you know, what hostages did we have? Where were they? What was the state of those negotiations? I really can't underscore enough to your listeners just how important these negotiations are to both parties. Now, you can differ um, and take issue with the tactics used of Republicans versus Democrats, um, but I, I do think that it is safe to say that, that both work extremely hard to try to get our people home. Does that have to do with the fact that we have people from all over the world living in the United States, that we are unique in that in that way, and we're not just a homogenous group of people from from one place and so we we have vested interests all over the globe is that part of that i i I wouldn't say that i think the united states is a very special nation we were founded on an idea in fact we were the first nation founded on the idea that uh, every person uh, enjoys unalienable rights um, that are given to them by god and governments can't take them away now subsequently to our founding um you know other nations Uh, adopted uh, various forms of protection for human rights, but it's really at the core of who we are as Americans. But a a more cynical point, Jessica, sorry sorry to go here, but the other thing that I learned when I was working at the State Department is that there are very few nations in the world that do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Um, The United States, Britain, Australia, uh, maybe Canada, and that's pretty much it. So we're extremely fortunate um, to be Americans. Um, I have uh, an enormous amount of concern for the hostages who have been taken by Hamas. They are a um, murderous 
terrorist group. They do unspeakable things um, to uh, both their, their victims and to the hostages um, that, they, that they're holding right now. I think it's extremely important and good that we are engaging in these negotiations. Uh, but what I don't have is a sense of how likely it is that these negotiations will succeed. Um, but I, I do wish the, the team the best of luck. That's, uh, that kind of leads me to, do, do you believe, um, just looking from the outside, you know, that this, is, and you already said that this is what terrorist groups do, right? But is this part of a strategy beyond just this conflict, right? Like, are they saying, because we keep hearing that Hamas is demanding food and water and fuel. Is taking hostages and certainly taking this many hostages um, an effort to use them as bargaining chips for something else than water, food and fuel, like maybe other prisoners that Israel has? Well, Hamas uh, has engaged in prisoner swaps before uh, with Israel for Israelis. That's just a a, a historical fact. And Israel gave up uh, many multiples of Hamas terrorists in exchange for a single Israeli because Israel, too, places a very high value on their citizens' um, lives. So one other thing that we could say about this Hamas terrorist operation is that it was extraordinarily sophisticated. It was carried out in stages. Uh, there were multiple vectors to the attack on the in the sea, the air, and the ground. There were um, multiple cells. So the actual attack itself was incredibly sophisticated. But as you suggest, there also seems to have been planning for what would happen after the attack, namely to use hostages as a bargaining chip, as they have in the past. And to try to extract, as you said, uh, certain kinds of things, food, fuel, uh, water. Um, of course, they already have fuel. Uh, the Israeli government has uh, released photographic evidence of that. Um, and what else might they want? Well, they, they might be trying to use these hostages as a political tool in places like the United States to dissuade the U.S. government. Um, from backing uh, in an Israeli response. I think, you know, we'll, we'll find out in the coming days. But um, I, again, I just I, I really feel for the families and the friends of these hostages It is the worst possible situation to be in. Um, I have met these families in the past and it is um, it's heart wrenching. It, it is the most horrific thing you can possibly imagine. And so, uh, I, you know, I hope we'll get a good outcome here. I'm glad you've got folks like Ambassador Carstens and his team working, but I think it's a it's a very dire situation for these folks, unfortunately. So pretend you're at the State Department right now and you hear one of those elderly women who was released, Yocheved Lifshitz. She, she said she was kept underground in a tunnel system that she likened to a spider web of tunnels. And she says they walked for several kilometers underground. Yeah. If you're in the State Department and you hear that, what is your reaction? What, what, is, what is the reaction of everyone who's, who's working well, on this when they hear that? Given that the Gaza Strip has been run by Palestinians, uh, Hamas in particular, since I think 2007, if memory serves, um, it tells me that all of the American aid and the United Nations efforts in there has not gone toward building um, uh, a thriving, sustainable economy to better the Palestinian people's lives. It's gone to building this spider web of tunnels and buying armaments, working with Iran, which is Hamas's backer, 
um, to carry out its genocidal mission to kill all the Jews and eradicate Israel. That's that's just a fact. You can read it in their uh, mandate. It's, it's public. And yeah. so it just says also to me um, that this is an, an immensely difficult extraction for, say, U.S. special forces, which have been used in the past to extricate and free hostages, that that possibility may be off the table here. And that could be why Secretary Blinken is working with the nations that you outlined earlier to get them to exert leverage on the Palestinian uh, rulers of Hamas to get these hostages out, because it sounds like it would be the military option is off the table. That just leaves diplomacy. We've been speaking with Mary Kissel, Executive Vice President at Stevens and former Senior Advisor to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. More after this. Do you think a ground invasion is less likely? I mean, the, the Prime Minister of Israel says we're, we're, there will be a ground invasion and it will be based on the timing of which will be based on consensus, that it, that it will happen. Um, and, and he also said in the same speech, you know, we're working to get the hostages back. And he said that first. So that seems to be the priority. But as you watch reaction around the world mount against Israel and the increase of the massive increase in of anti-Semitism against Israel, is it is it less likely day by day that there's a ground invasion? I would I can't speak for the Israeli government. I would believe yeah. what the prime minister says. I would also note that Western nations, including the United States, um, have run different experiments when it comes to dealing with the Islamic Republic of Iran. Under the Bush administration, uh, the United States let European nations try to negotiate with Iran. They refused. And so we got unilateral, uh, unanimous rather, sanctions at the United Nations against their ballistic missile program. Uh, The Obama administration appeased and Iran took that money and funneled it to Hamas, Hezbollah, the Houthis and other terror groups around, you know, not just the Middle East, but um, in other geographies. Um, the Trump administration tried the maximum pressure campaign. We saw a marked decrease in Iranian terror activity um, because they simply didn't have the funds to pay for it. And now you have the Biden administration trying the Obama formula again, and it is once again failing. So, you know, Israel is facing uh, an existential threat. I think that's very clear um, because Iran, which is really the main actor here that we should be talking about, um, Iran has, uh, like its proxies and like Hamas, um, vowed repeatedly for 40 years to kill all the Jews and, and, and get rid of Israel. Right. So uh, it's hard to know what options Israel has. They tried to let uh, the Palestinians run the Gaza Strip, and we've just talked about what resulted uh, from that. The United Nations has in large part turned a blind eye at best or facilitated at worst Hamas and mm-hmm. its hatred of Jews. Um, so you can't rely on the United Nations to do anything. Uh, Israel has tried to get uh, Egypt and other partners, so-called, of the Palestinian people to take Palestinian civilians. They have refused so it's it's hard for me to see in the real world, you know, what other options Israel you know, practically has. I get somewhat frustrated when I hear discussions about this conflict because, A, it often treats it as a bilateral issue, which it is not, because I said it, Iran, this is really an Iranian attack on Israel. It's not Hamas-Israel. 
And B, um, a lot of the commentary doesn't really take into account the, the real world practicalities of running a government and trying to protect your people. It's not easy. It's very complicated. But in many cases, it's not black and white either. Um, so as President Nixon uh, said, and I'm kind of paraphrasing him when he was talking, you know, about the the, uh, the Iranian monarchy versus the mullahs, you know, foreign policy and, and decision making like that is not between good and bad. It's often between bad and worse. And so I don't envy uh, the prime minister of Israel having to make these decisions. It's very difficult. No one wants the loss of human life. But at the same time, it's now clear to Israelis in the world that Hamas has a Nazi-like mission to exterminate the Jews. And so I don't think that Israel will ever, ever be safe if that group controls territory and millions of people um, within Israel's borders. You, you say that and you believe that, but that, that is the, that's the problem, right? That's what Israel's negotiating, is how to uh, go after Hamas and not harm a single civilian and ensure that that as it's criticized for not having an objective, right? It's, it's criticized for not, what are you guys going to do when it's over? How do they ensure, you know, another terror group or an out, you know, an offshoot of Hamas doesn't, you know, just regrow and try this again and say, oh, guess what? It worked last time. We took 200 hostages. Well, first of all, I don't think anyone realistically believes that there will be no civilian casualties in a war. Um, that's, that's just absurd. So, and I, I, you know, I think that Israel has done far more than any other democracy in the world to warn civilians by tapping on rooftops before they strike and broadcasting where Drop, they're going to dropping strike. Dropping leaflets. So, yeah. Yeah. Leaflets I mean, say you, you have know, 24 hours. Right. We should say that it is a human tragedy to have hostages, to lose civilians, to witness torture and, and, and murder and all of the horrible things that we have seen. But we should place the blame squarely on the people who are committing the acts of terror, which is the Hamas terrorists that killed more than a thousand people, killed more than 30 Americans. We should we should say that it is remarkable to me that the names and faces of, of those um, Americans are not widely known to the American people. Um, you don't see our major news networks putting their photographs up on nightly news every night and lamenting their loss. That's shocking. We should know their names. This is not just an Israeli fight. They've killed Americans, many Americans. And by the way, Iran has been killing Americans for 40 years. Recall of the multiple bombings in Beirut during the Reagan era? where hundreds of people were killed, many Americans were killed. Um, recall the Iran-backed attacks on U.S. soldiers that killed hundreds of Americans in the second Iraq war. Iranian-backed actors have killed American contractors in Syria and in Iraq just in these last years during the Biden administration. And, and really, the greatest victims, of course, are the Iranian people, the people of Lebanon, who the people of Syria, who, just like us, wish for a better life for themselves and for their children, and yet it is denied to them because of a revolutionary, radical regime in Tehran. So can this problem be solved? I don't know. But again, I would look at the evidence of history and note that the only approach to Tehran that has served to curb their terror 
was the maximum pressure campaign under the Trump years. Um, and let's not forget, the Iranian people have been courageously protesting in the streets now for years and have been largely ignored, unsupported by Washington, London, Paris, Rome, right? It could be that the Iranian people themselves want change and want a real democracy that is at peace, not just internally, but with its partners and neighbors, such as Israel. So, you know, these regimes, they, they look stable until they're not. Um, we didn't predict the Arab Spring. We didn't predict the fall of the Soviet Union. We didn't predict the upheavals in Venezuela and Cuba. But I think if you want to solve these issues, you have to speak honestly um, about the nature of these regimes, speak frankly about who is at fault when terrorist uh, attacks occur, and then see, look at history and examine what is the, the U.S. foreign policy that has yielded tangible benefits in the past. And maybe we should try more of that. Mary Kissel is executive vice president at Stevens and former senior advisor to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Thank you for joining the Fox News Rundown Evening Edition. Great to be with you. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.